Welcome to Cougar Talk. The official, unofficial voice of SAU Cougar Athletics. And Spring Arbor is the 2019 NAIA Division II National Champion. And more. Get ready to get up to date on the latest in Cougar athletics. Talk to Cougar legends. And hear sports news from around the country. Let's get started. Here's your host, Eric Rose. Episode 6, the undefeated team. The 1977 men's soccer team at Spring Arbor College, 44 years ago, had a tremendous season. It also ended with them not being able to play their national championship. Within that season, there was a new group of guys that came together and played some amazing soccer, which excited the campus. I'm excited to have some of the members of the 1977 men's soccer team here with us. And so I'd like to introduce Blake. Why don't you introduce yourself? My name is Blake Glass. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. I went to Detroit Country Day High School. I was the sweeper on the team and I played uh, four seasons from 74 to 77. Very good. Good to have you with us. And uh, Dean, introduce yourself. Uh, hello, I'm Dean Smith. Um, I grew up in Arbor, Michigan. Uh, our high school was Jackson County Western, but the, I suppose the most important thing was uh, it was uh, the high school for Spring Arbor. Um, <laughs> on the 77 team, I played uh, midfield. I played from 76 to 79. Uh, great to have you on the show. CJ. Um, my name is CJ Sturmer. I'm grew up in a small town called Clio, Michigan, and I was goalkeeper, and I played from 75 through 78. Awesome. Good to have the man between the poles with us. Uh, we're going to go switching back to Blake. Blake, tell us the story about how you were recruited and came to Spring Arbor there from Country Day. Well, I'll just say that uh, I remember researching a lot of Christian colleges around the country. Nowadays, I can't figure out how I did that without the internet, but I just remember <laughs> having a whole lot of mail coming in and different catalogs, and I I kept looking at everything, but one of my best friends or my best friend in high school told me that the day my brothers started at Spring Arbor was the day that I enrolled there as well, <laughs> because my brothers were twins. They're four years older than I am, and they ended up going to Spring Arbor playing soccer. So it was just natural for me to follow in their footsteps and, mm. and go to SAC. Very cool. Well, thanks for sharing that story. Again, Dean, tell us how that how you got to Spring Arbor just in the backyard, how that all worked out. Well, my uh, actual involvement with the soccer team began well before I was uh, actually a student there because at about age eight, my family moved uh, across the highway and I was about the only kid on the college side of the of M60. <laughs> and the exciting thing for me going on on that side of the highway was the soccer team. And so I was naturally drawn down to the field and pretty much immediately I began, uh, I became the ball boy uh, or a ball boy. And I just uh, relished that. I loved it. I just, I don't know, I idolized the soccer players, never really thinking I would play soccer myself. But uh, eventually as I grew up, I uh, kind of, well, the team, when they would need extra players for practice, they kind of started incorporating me. Some of the players kind of took me under their wing and it was just kind mm -hmm. of a natural evolution. There was never a question after a while that I would uh, go to Spring Arbor College and uh, play on the soccer team. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing that story. Being close and connected even with the Cougar soccer even before you were able to put on that jersey. That's great. CJ, talk about your experience, how you came from the north north area of Detroit and Clio and came to Spring Arbor. Well, Clio was actually north of Flint. North of Flint. 
Flynn. I'm sorry. Yes. We'll cut That's the okay. piece out. Um, I played baseball and basketball at a, at a big class A high school and I didn't know what soccer was, but I grew up in the free Methodist church. My dad played basketball at Spring Arbor back in, in the early fifties. So I went there hoping to play baseball because I was, a, I was a pretty good center fielder and I was well known for, you know, diving catches and stuff like that. But um, somehow I screwed up. And when I got there in the fall of 74, I approached Hank, Hank Burbridge about baseball and he said, oh no, we already had tryouts in the fall. And so I was just kind of downtrodden. And a friend of mine who knew my baseball exploits said that, well, you should go out for soccer and be a goalkeeper. I've watched you dive in the outfield forever. You might you might really enjoy that. And since I had missed the whole baseball thing, I, I went out. That's how the whole thing started for me. Wow. Wow. Cool. Well, thanks again for sharing that story. Wow. And then, then you became between the well, pipes. And- I, well, I didn't have the foot skills, but at that point, I didn't really need them as much. No, no. They needed a good athlete. And that's what they were looking for. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that story. Now, guys, we move into the season. In 1976, the team goes to the Rose Bowl and uh, you play and you, you lose against the University of Alabama Huntsville. Talk a little bit about that if you remember that experience and kind of that's the end of that 76 season. You guys have any thoughts about that? I think the thing I remember most was probably the first game. Um, we played Simon Frazier. Honestly, the thing I remember most about it was before they sang, uh, before the game started, they got together and they sang a song, which actually was a song that Howard Taylor taught us to sing later on. And um, it was kind of a song or a chant. And at one point you say, we don't care what, and usually you say what your opponent's name is, what they say. And when they did that song, they said, we don't care what Quincy said. <laughs> and I'm like, I remember that happened. I'm like, wait, they're playing us. Why are they talking about Quincy already? <laughs> and that whole thing was an education, I think, for all of us, because yeah. they beat us pretty soundly playing a different brand of soccer than we were used to. Mm-hmm. We were chasing them all day. Yeah. And then one of the things I remember from that tournament was going to see Quincy and Simon Frazier play the next day in the semifinal. Mm-hmm. And that game went 14 overtimes, 14 wow. overtimes. <laughs> and it ended up being Eric Delabar from Quincy. And now I can't remember the guy from Simon Frazier. They, they were so tired at one point, the two goalkeepers basically exchanged the ball back and forth. Wow. The Simon Frazier goalkeeper threw the ball a lot. The Quincy goalkeeper kicked it. So we were watching them. So that was one of the things that I remember. And so we lost that first game. And then by the time we got to the Alabama Huntsville game, it was kind of like, boy, it's great. We're playing in the Rose Bowl. It really was a game for eighth place, seventh place, right. I mean. So we ended up losing but we got eighth place. Sounds good, but eighth place was last place in that tournament. But that's one of the things I remember from that. And CJ, for you, you talked a little bit about the the experience of playing in the Rose Bowl. And there was one thing particularly you remember. I think we talked about that before this. We we clicked record. Can you talk to us about the grass? The the grass was so green and so soft. Goalkeepers were used to diving in in goal mouths that were all torn up. There were rocks. (laughs) You you won't believe how many scars I still have. For me, biggest memories of that are the two the two of the three playoff games to get to the national tournament. Mm. We played we were the Michigan champions and we played the Ohio champion at our place on a cold, cold, blustery November day, Cedarville, Ohio, and it went to six overtime before, and it was getting dark and we had no light oh, before man. Howard Taylor popped one in it and we beat him two to one. And then we had to go down to Tennessee, play Covenant College on top of Lookout Mountain, mm. and the winner went to national. I'll never forget that 
that game because I remember looking up at the clock and the score was 0-0 and it was about 52 seconds to go. And the next thing I remember, a Covenant striker is barreling in on me one-on-one. And I went out and I, I still don't know how I did it. He pulled off a great shot and I went down and I went down the wrong way. But I reached back with my foot and stuck my heel up and the ball rocketed off the back of my heel and went about 30 feet in the air. And I jumped up. I could not find the ball. And Blake said, CJ, get your butt in the goal. (laughs) (laughs) So I went back in the goal and Blake headed the ball out. I'll never forget this. It's like the whole Covenant team just stopped and froze dead in their track. And we got the ball out on the wing. Greg Robertson dribbled all the way down the wing, crossed the ball in. And Howard Taylor diagled him across. And everybody on Covenant, including the goalkeeper, went with him. Mm. And he never played the ball. And it went on through. And there was Dean on the back post. And he did the softest header I've ever, I can ever remember. I thought the ball stuck to his fro. Okay. <laughs> and it dribbled into the line, over the line, into the goal. And I looked at the clock and there were two seconds left in the game. That's how we got to the national tournament. Oh, wow. What an incredible, wow. That's an incredible, nice, nice, crazy. nice header. Wow. That's crazy. It was crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. And uh, that had to be just emotionally. I mean, remember that now, 44 years it was. ago. It was just, we went from despair to uh, complete joy in a matter of moments. Oh, what, what, what a story. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that CJ. Um, I can remember Eric, uh, that Cedarville game yeah. um, that uh, just saying to myself, once it got in the overtime, I don't want to be the one who screws up. You're supposed to be positive, right? I don't want to be the one that screws up. I don't want to be the one that screws up. Probably the, the Cedarville game is probably typical of how we played almost all of our games. And that was hang on until Howard Taylor scored, because yeah. it seemed as though, so for the first two years, 76, uh, that we're talking about 76 and 77. I think we maybe lost one game. I can't remember our exact record in 76. That's I think right. we lost yeah. one game. Yeah. One game. So we went uh two years, my first two years of playing, losing one game, winning everything else. And the feeling that I had was play good soccer uh long enough and Howard Taylor will win the game. And it's almost yeah. as if inevitably that's what happened because we just kept winning. And we had other good players, of course, but Howard was head and shoulders above virtually anybody uh else on the field at any given time. And yeah. I wanted to w- add one memory about tournament in in Pasadena, California. Uh, the game that Blake was talking about where Simon Frazier and Quincy went back and forth, back and forth, overtime, 14 overtimes maybe. Yeah. I remember standing, watching that game in the stands. I think it was raining on us, but we were being led probably by Timmy McVeigh in a song of all we are saying is give us a goal. <laughs> <laughs> we were rooting for the game to end. That's what we were doing, but that was a fantastic experience, like uh, Blake said, watching those teams. And I feel like I, I remember before our first game against Simon Frazier, there was a little bit of a controversy on the team about how our attitude should be, whether we should feel really emboldened and confident or whether we should be like respectful. Hey, these guys are really good. We have to have our act together. But honestly, it seemed as though for that tournament, we were nervous. It was a new mm-hmm. thing for us and we maybe weren't expecting to be there. We we felt, I think, like we were a bit over our head that yeah. year. Well, I tell you what happened is, is you guys went through that tournament and, and played extremely well. You know, we know that we move into 1977. There was a, there was a roster shakeup a little bit. Uh, there were um, h- how many new players came 
into the 1977 roster. Do you, do you remember that at all, um, well, Blake? Blake, Blake's I, I got the statistics, and he can tell you. I'll, I'll tell you, David Cassidy, Frank, and Vinnie Cowley, they just fit in seamlessly, and they were just a great addition to the team, and there were others as well. Yeah, thank yeah, we you. Had a carryover, we had a carryover of eight players from the 76 team through graduation, and then there's always other reasons mm -hmm. that people don't end up playing or anything like that. But I, I just remember going in, I don't know, somehow I don't remember thinking a lot about it mm -hmm. and about what the team was going to be like, but just showing up and then all of a sudden twins, I mean, Frank and Vinny were there from New York. Mm -hmm. They talked a little bit funny, which was hilarious, <laughs> but they were both, how tall were five, five three five. and five, four, yeah, it yeah. says mm -hmm. in the thing. Yep. So these two little short guys, and then David Cassidy came along and he wasn't the singer, but the three <laughs> of them, like Dean said, they just sort of fit in right away. Mm -hmm. And it just became me being the sweeper. Frank played one side, Vinny played the other side. And the more we got to know them, their personalities, again, were just hilarious. They were just kind of low-key, but just that funny kind of humor that they had and stuff. And it was just, I don't know, it did take a, in, in one sense, it took us a little while to gel and get the, mm -hmm. how we were going to play together. But as far as team spirit, I felt like from day one, mm -hmm. everybody was was doing pretty well. The other guy was, um, I think that was Yusuf's uh, first time there and stuff. Yeah. Um, he was from Sierra Leone, big guy that played defense with me. And I was like, oh, that was sorry. Right. That was sorry. 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 Oh yeah. Yusuf. Sorry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, sorry. Yeah. He was a big guy and he played defense. I thought, all right, great. We finally got another bigger guy that's able to play defense yeah. and so forth too. <laughs> but we had, as Dean already said, you had um, Howard Taylor, but then some of the other guys that were turning off that team were, you know, very, very good players. Um, yeah. Greg Robertson. Those, Greg Robertson, Dean himself, Dan Owsley, you know, Dan, the big O, yeah. uh, missionary kid from Brazil, left footed, played out dynamic shot and so forth um, with his left foot. Mm. Just fantastic group. We had CJ and goal. So, you know, it was like if things broke down in the defense, we knew we had a good goalkeeper behind us and so forth. However, I always tried to never let him get the ball <laughs> just because I felt, you know, I just felt as a defender, the more we keep it away from our goalkeeper, the better off we are with it, you know? Yeah. Well, right? it's neat to be able to see, even with the transition, it seems like you guys didn't skip a beat. And, and we talk a little bit about uh, Howard Britt Taylor. So talk a little bit about him. He was, he was an amazing goal scorer for the Cougars, but he also had national accolades. He was one of the top scorers in the United States. So guys, talk about his impact on the team in that 1977 season, Britt Taylor. Because of what I already said, you know, my experience in being on the team, hang on, a close game. We always felt we were going to win because Howard Taylor was going to score the goal. Uh, maybe someone else, but more often than not, it was him. And before Brett came to our team, we had another, I think, superstar. There were other great players in, in Spring Arbor's past, which I witnessed mm -hmm. as the ball boy growing up, you know, and I idolized them. But then Timmy McVeigh came to Spring Arbor and he was a great player. He he was uh, so skilled with his feet. He was fun to watch. Mm -hmm. And I idolized him. And I also have a, a special place in my heart for him because he kind of took me under his wing too. He was a great player. I recently talked to uh, Timmy McVeigh just a few years ago. And he said that before Howard, before Britt came to the team, it was like, he was the guy. He was mm -hmm. the star. And then when Howard Taylor came, he realized he was going to be in a supportive role. And then he realized Howard Taylor doesn't need support. He's <laughs> <laughs> he can do it on his own. He's that good. He can take the ball from wherever. He can uh, generate a shot for himself and he can kill it. That's that's Howard Taylor that I, I think we played with and we understood. And he was just a fantastic player. His stats, Blake, you're going to probably uh, outstat me here, but I'm going to tell you, Howard Taylor scored 35 goals that year and eight assists, according to the information I saw. And yep. over his career, he scored 110 goals, 42 assists, which was at least as of the latest I could find out, which was only 1989, the, the best production of any men's player in NAIA. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
absolutely. Are there, are there any, those are some great stats. Any other stats there yeah. about Britt Taylor that we have and, and his impact on the team? Well, not so much statistically. Yeah. I'm going to come back to Britt because yeah, no problem. Dean did mention a huge part of it was Tim McVeigh because, and I think I'll have this story right. Tim was a senior in 76 with that team. And I really enjoyed playing with him. He was a very skilled person. He was also a fiery personality. I mean, um, if if he would get down on himself a little bit, he'd also try and, you know, get some other people uh, going if, if they were having some trouble and stuff to um, get them motivated. I think it, it was in the summer, he went with a, and I can't remember who was an athletes in action team. Yeah, that's what it was. Or who it was. And they went to Mexico, mm-hmm. I think. And yeah. I believe they were coached by Russ Carr, who was the coach at Westmont. Mm. And Tim came back and he was Phil Bartlett's assistant coach in 77. Mm. And one of the things he brought back with him that I stole in my coaching career and one of my players reminded me, uh, Paul Cotto, he was inducted into the Spring Arbor Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. He said in his acceptance things that I taught him, you know, this free kick play. And well, I learned it from Timmy, who learned it from Russ Carr. Wow. But basically there were five different options off this free kick. We'd have uh, three guys over the ball. We'd have two guys near the wall. And one of them's job was to seal off the end of the wall. So if you pass the ball next to the wall, the defensive wall and close free kicks, that person would stop the other team from being able to run onto it and so forth. Mm. But I got to say, one of my favorite things that Timmy brought was some corner kick plays. I got the nickname Hammerhead. <laughs> so when we were going to do free kick, corner kicks, and I think Dean would take them from one, one side. And if we called Hammerhead, that meant they were going to put it. I was to go stand next to the opposing goalkeeper and Hammerhead was going to be, we're going to put it in the box. And it was going to be me and the goalie going at it. And I looked, mm. I actually had three goals that year. I can't tell you what they were. I'm going to guess at least one of them had to be a header, but I don't remember any of those three, but we'd call hammerhead and boy, I'd get jacked up. I'm running from the back to come up there for an offensive corner kick and stuff. So yeah. Timmy McVeigh had a lot to do with it, but yeah. getting with Britt, Britt was one of those things, not one of, he wasn't like, if you looked at him compared to some of today's players um, who are really smooth because they've grown up making all these quarter moves and so forth. They knew how to do all those. Britt pretty much was a cut the ball back across his body with the inside or fake and push it to the outside, but he had some quickness to him. He could get by, but once you were even with him, you weren't touching him. He was a big guy. He was my size, six, two or so, and had a lot of weight on him and stuff. And he was just strong. Once he got even with you, you weren't going to catch him. And there's actually a picture in the yearbook where I showed my daughter this yesterday when I was looking at some yearbooks where he's dribbling the ball and his right foot is at a 90 degree angle to what normally your foot would be at instead of pointing straight at. And that was just the way he was able to maneuver. And he just, he had that determination. He'd go in. If you ever went in a, a foot to foot tackle, 99% of the time, Britt was going to come out of the ball with the ball and so too. So he just, he had all those tools. And one of my favorite memories, I don't know what game it was, but it was a headed goal that he scored. He was at the back post. The ball came across. He went up in the air and it was almost like he was sitting while he was up in the air and nodded it in, then kind of fell to the ground and so forth. And probably came from Robertson because the two of them really combined really well. It was a pleasure to watch him. Like I would say, get the ball up to Britt and just like CJ says, we'll stand back and watch it all happen in front of us. Well, thanks again um, for sharing how, that. Any thoughts? Yeah, go Howard ahead. Howard was, 
Howard and I played the same four years. So I saw all 110 of his goals and they were pretty amazing. But in from 76 to 77, we, we changed when those new guys came in, Frank, Vinny and, and Dave and Sari, those guys. I mean, that, that except for Blake, that was a whole new defense and it was solid as heck. I don't remember having to face a breakaway that entire season. Wow. wow. And people who, who uh, you know, back in those days, soccer was considered the communist sport. No. And, and a lot of times people just said, oh, it's just Howard and those guys. That was the furthest thing from the truth. Because like Blake already said, we had quality in that 77 team in every position. Well, Howard might have scored 35 goals, but we scored 69, yeah. which means he had half our goals. But that's not all of them. Right. And that solid defense in front of me, we only gave up 16 goals in, in 20 games. That And we changed our style. In 76, we bashed the ball in the air a lot more. In 77, we started to settle down, put the ball on the ground, knock it around, pass it around, and that that changed our whole concept. I, I think I think that's right, and I want to add this. Uh, what I was going to say about Frank and Vinny, and you're talking about a changeover on defense. So we had two big guys in the middle, Blake and Sorry. We had Frank and Vinny on the outside. These small guys, their ball skills were just fantastic. They, were. they could handle the ball super well. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was a big, important part of the shift that you're talking about, CJ, because yep. we knew we could control the ball from the back to the front. We did exactly. have ball players in every position. And I suppose in talking about the team, it's obvious to talk about Brett, but we can't forget, right, I think we had quality uh, throughout the whole squad. And I thought we hung together well. We played well. We, we we moved the ball well, like you're saying. We went to more of a possession game. Well, I appreciate you guys what you said, because looking at the Jackson sit pat and, and, and how Britt Taylor says, we play like one big family. And I think that kind of enunciates a little bit of what you guys are speaking of, that it was not only was he he scored and see, you talk about that, but you had a defense and you started moving the ball around and midway through that season, you guys were 10 and 0 and were rated number fifth in the country. And people were starting to notice this was a, a pretty spectacular team. Any thoughts, any memories of any other games or being together as a team um, during that season before we, we talk about the national championship? Any any the other? Second, the second half of that season, I, I remember almost every game because in those last nine games, we gave up one goal mm. and that was a penalty kick against Goshen. That's how yeah. solid we became after the first half of that season. Yeah, it so was, I would say, go ahead, Blake. Well, you know, we started the season with a win against King's College three to two, right. and then beat Roberts Wesleyan six to four. Yeah. And my guess, without solid memory, was probably we weren't really sure about Frank and Vinny, David, and where they were playing. And maybe Coach was playing some people in some different positions. My guess was probably Seabree, Rod Seabree, mm-hmm. was probably playing back in defense with me. Uh, maybe on the outside or something because that tournament that we played it was in a tournament out at um, Kings no Robert at Robert no no it was at Beaver Falls oh yeah yeah Beaver Falls yeah yeah Yeah. and you know then we came back and I think like Steve you were saying I think the change point in the season though was when we went back to Covenant College to play in the tournament down there and we played Alabama Huntsville who we lost to in that seventh place game and we went to two overtimes Mm -hmm. against them beat them four to three so we were tired it was hot look out Mountain Tennessee it's up there thin air and then the next day we played Covenant we went to two overtimes and sudden death before we beat them and I think it was at that point probably by that point that the lineup got settled and at that point we said who are we going to play that's better than what we've already played but we ended up playing you know we always like to sort of brag a little bit we always Michigan State Western Michigan Mm -hmm. Oakland University and and beat them basically shut them out when we played them and you know these are Big Ten Division One schools and so forth but by that point we finally hit our rhythm everybody knew and could count on everybody else you know it was one of those 
those things. I think we all knew the starting lineup every game because it wasn't changing because we had some subs that could come in and do the job, but it was a definite starting team yeah. that was always going to be out there. Yeah. Like, like you said, Blake, you guys took on some division one uh, teams like in Western University of Michigan, Michigan State University, and also had a really wild game against Oakland University at that time too. So uh, again, you, you played against some, some pretty, pretty stiff um, that we would see kind of, kind of competition. So some of the stats I looked up today, that year, Oakland University ended up 11 and three. Wow. Uh, Goshen was 12 and seven. Yep. Alabama Huntsville ended up 10 and five, 10, five and one. Hope College, Division three school was 12 and three that year. We hey, ended, I got to jump in here, Blake. Yeah. Uh, I have a, the Hope game was, was amazing. We played them up in Grand Rapids. They were always a solid team. This is a story I was going to throw in here anyway. We beat them only one to nothing. But late in the game, there was a barrage of people in front of me. And all of a sudden, the ball came blasting out and hit the post Mm. right at the bottom of the post. And it was going fast. And it ricocheted right down the goal line behind me. And I thought, gosh, do I dive on it? Do I do what? I finally decided it's going so fast. If I try to dive on it, I might knock it in the goal. So Mm -hmm. I let it go. And it went right down the goal line and hit the other post (laughs) and came out. And then um, Frank was on the left side. He cleared the ball. Sometimes you got to have a little bit of luck. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, By the way, did Howard, uh, did Britt score that goal? That one I don't remember. He probably did. I'd bet on it, but who knows? Yeah, (laughs) there you go. I have that stat for you momentarily. (laughs) Yes, he did. Assist to Greg Robertson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Greg Robertson, also one of your top goal scorers um, that year, the 1976 season. Greg ended up being drafted and played uh, professional indoor soccer. His career was over and stuff, too. So we had quality players, yeah. Any significant other stats, Blake, that you might have about uh, that season that you wanted to speak about with regard to the 1977 team that come to your mind? Well, I think CGRE hit upon it that you finish the season and with those shutouts and you have that confidence, you almost go in and go, we're going to do our job. You know, you guys up in front of us, you know. The, the back four, you know, which was the twins, myself and uh, Suri, and we'll do our job and CJ behind us if something gets by us, yeah. we'll do our job. The other six of you, you just go and take care of scoring and stuff, you know. <laughs> I never worried about going forward and attack except yeah. for corner kicks or, uh, you know, things like that and stuff because we just stayed back, did our job and let them handle it. But when you can finish the season with all those shutouts, that's just it's amazing to, to have that kind of record. And you ended the season undefeated. Now, we look at moving in to the NAIA tournament. And I know this for many people who uh, have a season like this undefeated regular season, they look forward to the tournament. And I know that you guys had a kind of a different experience. So I just want everyone to kind of walk through. People ask the question, why did the 77 team play in the national championship? So maybe let's start at the beginning if you have that story about how that transpired, how you guys were going to play in the national championship and play in the tournament. Let's start with the tournament. Anybody want to share a little bit about that? Um, we, us guys who were back on the team from the year before, I know for myself, I was Herman that we were going to get back. In fact, mm-hmm. when we got on the bus after the national tournament in 76, a reporter asked me, hey, I looked at you guys' roster. You guys have a lot a lot of young guys. And I looked at him, I said, we're coming back. Mm-hmm. And I was totally determined that we would get back to that tournament. And a lot, I think everybody else, in the back of their mind, even though we play one game at a time, the back of our minds was, we're 
we're building up for that. And in the second half of that season where nobody scored, I mean, I was ready to go to the tournament. Well, yeah. and I think there's some been some confusion because I've read some things that said we did go to the tournament but didn't get to play in the championship game. The fact is, of course, and maybe everybody knows this, we, we didn't go to the tournament. We, no. we were excluded from the tournament. We so, were going to be, because there wasn't a playoff, so I don't know if Aquinas didn't go to, but we were going to be our District 23, which was Michigan. Usually Aquinas was the only team that we played, but for some reason that year, because we'd already beaten them, maybe they went on that record, but we were going to be the representative for District 23. And then best of my recollection was, I think the first time we heard about the possibility of not playing was at practice one day. Um, and at the time, I think we were told, well, there's might be some problem with it because the championship game has been scheduled for Sunday. And we're trying to work things out. I, that's just my recollection and stuff. It wasn't like a devastating thing immediately. The devastation came later. But that was just my recollection. And I, I can't tell you when that was exactly or anything like that. But um, yeah. the thing that I found ironic, never knew this until we were the team. We were inducted into the uh, Spring Arbor Hall of Fame, Sports Hall of Fame in 92, I think, in 2002, sorry. Um, and the two other inductees that year were Deb Thompson, who had played softball and is the softball coach still yep. there, and Rocky Kent, who'd been uh, the assistant basketball coach as I knew him, and then he was a sports information director. Mm -hmm. Well, it was at the Hall of Fame banquet that I found out that Rocky Kent was the guy who was looking over some papers and figured out date-wise that the championship game was now scheduled for a Sunday. Mm -hmm. And he's the one that sort of blew the whistle and passed it on to Hank Burbridge, who probably then talked president, mm -hmm. and that opened the discussion for things, yeah, um, with Dr. Voller. So what was crazy, University of Alabama Huntsville, who we lost to the year before but already beat this year, they were hosting the national championship tournament. Normally the games were, championship game would be on a Saturday, but that happened to be Saturday that the Auburn-Alabama football game was going to be. Uh, Iron Bowl. And again, I uh, read the same things, Eric, that I think you did. I was going over them today, the, the stories that I forgot what the company was. Some company put up $7,500 to be a sponsor for the tournament. Mm -hmm. And they thought it would be wasted if the championship game was held on the same day as the Iron Bowl, as if anybody that was there or interested in the football game would be interested in NAI soccer. You know, I mean, that's kind of irony. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they ended up kind of forcing Alabama Huntsville to move the game, to, the championship game to Sunday, which then Spring Arbor and some other colleges, Christian colleges like us, made the determination based on, you know, our church background and beliefs and so forth that we weren't going to play on Sunday. We happened to be the highest profile of, of those teams. Mm -hmm. So we got more of the press being undefeated, being ranked fourth in the country and so forth. But again, my recollection and CJ and Dean see if it's different. The initial thing was at a practice that I don't know whether somebody else is out there or whether Coach Bartlett kind of told us there might be an issue. And then over the next week to 10 days, it grew and grew and grew as an issue and, and thing. Well, again, thanks right. for sharing that. CJ, you guys have anything? Uh, any thoughts? Uh, CJ or Dean? Dean, go ahead. Uh, well, okay. So my, my recollection is very vague, but it's, it's consistent with what Blake has said. And that is my initial impression was that uh, they'd work it out. And I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I uh, It didn't work that way. That was that was my initial impression as well, was they would work it out. And then obviously uh, that didn't happen. Yeah. Thanks for your thoughts. CJ, any any thoughts on, on this? Uh, quite a bit. Yeah. I'll, later, I'll tell you, I met the president of the NAIA two years later. I'll mm. get to that in a minute. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm still upset. Yeah. All right. But um, those the last week and a half of that season are just slow motion. We didn't know what was going to happen. We still had two games to play and we played, they were both, well, we had one game to play and then we didn't know, we didn't know what was going to happen on, on uh, homecoming day, but we still had to play Blackburn 
out of St. Louis, which was a decent side, and we just blew them off the field. Yeah. It was it was like five to nothing. And I'll never forget Greg Robertson scoring a goal with his backside, which he turned <laughs> completely red about when we teased him. Um, the goalkeeper missed kicked, and he stuck his backside out, and it bounced right over the keeper's head and went in. But the, the day that we were told, we went out to, pr- we were told at practice, and I thought that was horrific. Here we are, ready to go out and get, get ready for Blackburn or whatever, or it might have been right after the Blackburn game. But anyway, they come out and tell us, well, we've done everything we can. Whenever you hear that, for me, I'm sorry, that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. Okay. And well, you're just not going to the tournament. And we didn't even have practice. And about two minutes later, all of us walked off in different directions. And, and that was the end of the day. And I was really upset about that. And then they set up a game for homecoming with Asbury, who was like 14 and three, if I remember. Mm-hmm. And the, the prediction was we would play them for the team to go to the national tournament. That would be the, the championship game in our area four. Mm. And they were a solid team and they came up and played at our place. That was the biggest crowd I ever saw at a Spring Arbor game. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we we pulled, I don't know if Blake, this was your idea or whatever, but we didn't even go out to warm up on the field. We warmed up in the gym. And Asbury kept looking over, are we playing anybody today? And we all had, I think, roses, if I was right. And we went out about five minutes before kickoff. Giant crowd around the entire field. And we made our entrance. We all lined up and did the wave like, like Rockport did at the national tournament in 76. And being a goalkeeper, you're a keen observer. And we all gave our flowers to people in the crowd and then started the game. And Asbury was the best team we played that year. And it was like they weren't even on the like Like Coach Bartlett said at the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, I don't think anybody could have beaten us that day. I don't think they could have. You guys were charged up. Yeah. 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 Um, I remember after the initial thing um, being told that they were going to try and work it out to see if NAI would move the game to Monday. Mm, then right. the plan became, and I don't remember this until I read some of these articles um, reviewing things today, that basically it, it sounded like Dr. Voller had told them, well, we'll just go ahead and play. And if we get to the championship game on Sunday, we'll forfeit. Because there's no guarantee, as good as we were, there'd be absolutely no guarantee when you usually have Quincy, right. Simon, Frazier in the right. field, no matter how good you are, those two are always going to be good, mm-hmm. that we'd actually get there. So I looked at it, or I guess in retrospect, look at it, the NAI had you know a chance to gamble and say, okay, what are the chances that these guys are really going to get through to the final? And if they do, what would happen? But they held firm. They, I think the nail in the coffin for Spring Arbor making the decision um, came down to they weren't going to budge. And if we had done the plan of starting to play in the tournament and then forfeiting, they were going to suspend all of Spring Arbor athletics was my understanding. Hmm, Kind of put the whole school on probation for three years. You're saying the NAIA would do that, Blake. Is that correct? The NAI would do that, yes. So that none of the sports would be able to go into postseason play. Hmm. So NAI decided to flex a little bit of muscle, which then takes us, you know, it was disappointing. It was announced in chapel. There was a whole thing. I remember though, CJ, the day starting to come back and you keep triggering memories for me. Hmm. Either, Either that first day when we didn't have practice, I think it was then. I remember like Frank and Vinny, I don't mean to pick on them or anything like that, but kind of having a, what's the problem? Yeah. Why? What's the problem with playing on Sunday? And then some other people would speak up. I'm thinking, again, I'm probably putting my knowledge of a person into what really happened, but I could imagine Dan Owsley saying, hey, free Methodist, we don't do that kind of thing and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say, Eric, from the very beginning that the whole roster was like, all right, okay, college, we're behind you 100% saying that. Right. We're like, we want to play, yeah. you know? And that's why if they gave us that little loophole to have some hope for a few more days, we were going to grab onto that. But I do think in the end, it was a good learning experience for people. Mm. Um, I know I've looked on it back on it many, many times in my 
my life and said, you know, it hurts that we didn't get a chance, but you know what, what ends up coming down to is looking at the season, what we've talked about, all those other players that we played with. And there's a lot of people, we haven't mentioned their names who were, you know, other starters and then some support substitute players and stuff, but being part of a big family, that's what you end up trying to dwell on during the season and stuff. I just can't remember the stuff CJ keeps talking about, about certain goals hitting balls and stuff like that. I was like, whoa, what a memory that guy has. Well, I know too, the NAIA then after this experience, um, since NAIA has many different religious schools, Catholic, Protestant schools kind of made the Spring Arbor rule where they now no longer have any contests on Sundays. <clears throat> and, um, you know, that's that's kind of carried through. But again, you know, uh, we understand that uh, in looking through these documents and looking through how talented your team was and how much of a family there was and how, how the university and even the campus and talking to people who had attended, there are students who watched you guys play, who were excited for it. I know that it had to be very disappointing and very difficult to experience that letdown, but yet you always have being the undefeated team. Any other thoughts, guys? We're going to be closing up the podcast here. Any yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I got to we- jump in. Yeah, go ahead, CJ. Um, this this was national news. After I graduated, finding a teaching job in Michigan in 79 during the recession was very hard. Mm. So I threw all my stuff in my car, my little car, and I moved to California without knowing a soul. And I taught for two years in a little private school to start my teaching career. And I don't know how they did it, but at the end of that school year, that first school year, at our little athletic banquet for that little school, somehow we booked the president of the NAIA to be our speaker. <laughs> and I can't remember the guy's name now, but he showed up and he was, you know, talkative and stuff like that. And he was at, I was a young guy. He was asking where I went to school. I'm sure he was expecting some school nearby in, in Southern California. And I went Spring Arbor, Michigan, and his eyes don't creep right out of his head. <laughs> Wow. He looked at me and he goes, Spring Arbor, you weren't on that soccer team, were you? And I said, well, I heck sure was. And yeah. uh, he jumped backward. Yeah. He did not want to deal with it. And then he said, well, Dr. Voller sure made a big overdeal mess out of that, didn't he? Mm. And I thought to myself, what a cop. What an absolute cop out. Yeah. You didn't want to deal with this, so you just threw it all under the rug. And the easiest way to deal with it was just to say, oh, you guys can't play, instead yeah. of trying to work something out. And his attitude that whole time... I stared a hole through that guy the rest of the evening yeah. and he avoided me like the plague. I don't know why, but somehow God had that set up <laughs> for us to somehow meet. Yeah. Yeah. And I have been upset about that for the rest of my days. I still am, as you yeah. can probably tell by my yeah. voice. I've never told that story to anyone. I love that story though. Yeah. Was it Harry Fritz by any chance? It might it very well have been. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. CJ, I appreciate you being able to share that story because people want to hear that really yeah. the passion of this team, you guys wanted to play. I mean, you wanted to play. And uh, because there was just a lot of details through the NAIA and, and, and the university trying to figure out that didn't work. And so I'm glad you had that opportunity to have a courageous conversation with someone who probably wasn't prepared for that conversation. He was not ready. <laughs> but but again, like you said, I think God put you in that place in California in that small school to have a have a nice, firm, loving conversation. conversation. Yep, absolutely. And uh, um, again, I appreciate you sharing that. Any other thoughts, guys, as we close out the podcast of, of the season or any other memories maybe that you want to share? I have a couple of thoughts. and is, uh, nobody, I, Nobody's going to top CJ's story right there. That was really interesting <laughs> to hear. I think from, from my perspective, I, I didn't think it was as big a deal at time probably as it really was because I had two more years to play. And my thought right. I think was, we're, gonna, we're going to Nationals two more times. If I miss one year, okay. It didn't quite work out that way. And I think that one of the reasons it didn't uh, the next year, we didn't make it to Nationals. Oh, and we I made it to the was, final final. Yeah. It was the area it was, final. Yeah. But it was the 
aftermath, I think, of the disappointment. I think we yes, struggled with that year because we didn't get to go to nationals because there was a little bit of discord on the team. Yeah. The following year, we had a number of new players and we did make it back to nationals. So I played on, of the four teams I played on, one was the 77 team, which we didn't make it because of the story we're telling, mm -hmm. but we made it uh, 76 and 79. And so uh, we had some really excellent quality uh, teams during that whole time frame. But I wanted to say this. When I was in, uh, oh, maybe 13 years old, 14, I played Pony League baseball and there was a tournament uh, for the state championship. We were in the championship game. It was to be played on Sunday. It had nothing to do with Spring Arbor College, but as I said before, I grew up in Spring Arbor and we had a religious belief or an ethic that mm -hmm. you don't play sports on Sundays. And my dad asked me if I, well, he actually, he left it up to me to decide if I was going to play or not. Mm -hmm. But honestly, it was the kind of decision where I knew which was the right decision and what was the wrong decision, at least in my dad's eyes. And I was not going to play. Um, so I'd kind of had that experience before. Right. And in my view, it was totally legitimate for our institution to say, no, we're drawing the line. We're not going to play on Sunday. And as players, maybe we would agree with that, maybe not. But honestly, I don't think it really was our call. We we were going to uh, Spring Arbor College at the time, now university. They took a stand. And I think that that was probably a very legitimate stand. And I really, really wish the NAI had worked something out with. Gotcha. Well, thanks so much, Dean, for sharing that. And any other thoughts before we look at closing out the podcast? Any other thoughts on that season? Well, guys, I want to thank you so much. Uh, again, the foundation that you led in 1977, you've seen Spring Arbor soccer. Actually, now, now in the 2000s, has been one of the most successful soccer programs, men's soccer program. Of course, the women won two national championships yeah. in 2015 yeah. and in 2018. Uh, Bethany Balser, uh, one of our ladies, is playing professionally now and uh, looking at getting into the United States women's roster for maybe the Olympics or the World Cup. And, and really, you guys set a tone. Spring Arbor didn't have football, but they had soccer. And soccer, and along with baseball and basketball, were some of the most premier uh, sports there at Spring Arbor. And as we close this out, these guys are only a couple members of the of the 1977 men's soccer team. They talked about Frank and Vinnie Calley, who are out of Rochester, New York, and uh, Glenn Campbell out of Alpena, Michigan, and David Cassidy out of Rochester, New York. And uh, again, Blake, you're, you're Concord, and, and Norm Hawkins. Detroit. From, I just happen to live in Concord. I'm coming from Detroit. Gotcha. Originally from Detroit, but yeah, they say <laughs> in the roster here, yeah. Right. Norm Hawkins, Bentley, and uh, Youssef, and uh, Sori, who are from Sierra Leone, Africa, and Neil uh, Kistler from Southfield, Michigan, and Bruce Daniel from Rochester, New York, and Don Mercer, they're from Spring Arbor, and Dan Owsley, who is uh, from Van Wert, Ohio, and Eric Robinson from Flint, along with Rod Seabree from Spring Arbor, and again, Dean, you from Spring Arbor, CJ, they're from Clio, Howard Britt Taylor from Lincolnshire, England, and uh, Joel Varlin from Villa Park, Illinois, and Mike Weidman from Elkton, Michigan, up there in the thumb. Your head coach was uh, Phil Bartlett, and again, assisted by Tim uh, McVeigh, who was a player, and then another manager by name of Brian Smith. And these were the, this was the team, the 1977 men's soccer team, the undefeated team, the Cougars, who had a prolific and powerful season, um, and they will be known forever as the undefeated Cougars, who are also inducted into the Spring Arbor University Hall of Fame. Again, this is Eric Rose with Cougar Talk, the official, unofficial voice of Cougar Athletics and more. You've been listening to Episode 6. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Cougar Talk. <coughs> Subscribe to the podcast on Google Podcast, Stitcher, or Podbean. Also, follow us on Instagram. 
Twitter, or Facebook at Cougar Talk SA. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of Cougar Talk the podcast and do not necessarily reflect those of Spring Arbor University or SAU Cougar Athletics. <laughs>